Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focused on the fringe of Canada. Hello, listeners. In tonight's episode, I have something a little different, but hopefully a lot interesting for you. Tonight, I'm going to share audio from a recent conversation I had with my good friend and Cape Breton-based bookstore owner, Donnie Calabrese. I suppose Donnie and I decided to get into the Halloween spirit a little early. And since we weren't in the same city, putting on face paint and dressing up as our favorite members of KISS was out of the question. So I think we did the next best thing. Donnie and I fired up our microphones, dimmed the lights, and had a long talk about ghosts. And that's what you're about to hear. During the conversation, Donnie and I share our personal experiences with the beyond and take live calls from listeners who share theirs. And, of course, what would be a ghost night without reading a couple of our favorite ghost stories? So let's get into it. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, my pal Donnie Calabrese and I invite you to the first Nighttime Podcast, Ghost Night. Donnie Calabrese, it's, it's almost Halloween. Autumn is in the air. Well, I've, um, I don't know what possessed me to be possessed. That was a good choice of words but i don't know what possessed me to be like i gotta do a ghost thing but what i think it may have been was i was at uh, dollarama the other day buying marshmallows to roast in my backyard and they already have a halloween section up it's july it's it halloween is evergreen at the dollarama yeah <laughs> and you know what just... the other day a friend of mine sent me a a a promo package of TV spots from the 1990s about Halloween because he knows that it is 100 days until Halloween. So maybe that is what was happening. Your internal clock was ringing. Could be. I think Dollarama just, they have like a section of the store that is to sell like plastic for the next holiday be it like (laughs) you know leading up to saint patrick's day they just have like a green hat that says canada then for canada day they have like a bunch of red hats that say canada day somebody's spray painting the yule logs orange for halloween (laughs) yeah now they're like what are we going to do how i guess halloween but anyway like you say halloween is evergreen it's um it's my favorite holiday partially because it seems to be lacking all all the the kind of the nonsense that in my mind gets in the way of other holidays like with christmas it's there's the stress of buying stuff and arranging plans to see everybody wherever you're going if you got to fly the airports are insane um and it's like and then i don't know new year's i just feel like i need to get like dressed up and go out and i hate getting dressed up and going out so i just kind of dread that halloween it's like all you need to do is get 25 dollars worth of candy and find some way to you know dress yourself up and have a blast what i did this past year was i um to decorate my yard and it's it's become a little bit of a thing actually that i'll explain but my next door neighbor had a bunch of wood pallets and i said like you want those wood pallets all like if you don't want them i'll take them and use them for firewood and he agreed uh but then halloween was coming and Mrs. Nighttime was like, we need to get decorations or something. So I thought like, you know, I could make tombstones and crosses out of 
the pallets. So yeah. my, my son and I spent the day like chopping these things up, shaping them. We made all these like, you know, your typical headstone style crosses. And since the pallets had been sitting in this guy's yard for like five years, they're all like kind of moldy and rotten and stuff. So when I got them like all put together, it looked like, you know, like pet cemetery kind of setup. Nice. So that was amazing for the holiday. And then after the holiday ended, ha- Halloween, I was like, you know, what do I do? I'm not chucking these things. So I brought them all in my backyard where I have a garden and I just stuck them all in the ground. From a Halloween. Like, it's like the yeah, Adams so, family. Yeah. Well, what we do now is um, the neighborhood kids and I, I'm the director, but we've made a few good zombie movies uh, that generally involve oh, nice. like they start in my driveway in the car. My car will break down. They all have the same story. The car breaks down. I get out of the car to try to find help. And the neighborhood kids acting as zombies pull me towards the graveyard and eat me. I, li- I literally have like 50 videos on my phone of that. Now my three-year-old even, he'll walk around <laughs> the tombstones, you know, in June. <sighs> Amazing. If you, you've got that house on the street, like that movie, The Burbs. Have you ever seen that Tom Hanks movie? Oh, man. What a, like, a lot of people don't know about that. Oh, right? that remains probably the most terrifying film experience of my life. Because I watched it when I was really little. <laughs> And the, yeah. the part that is emblazoned in my memory is when uh, he looks out the window in the middle of the rainstorm and there's all these people in, in unison with pickaxes digging graves in the backyard. <laughs> and I thought I knew enough at the time that I like, I like Tom Hanks as a kid and they mm-hmm. really just like toss that in there. So, it had its, you know, social effect of destabilizing the safety of the suburbs mm-hmm. and, and on me because I had no idea what was going on. And it was just terrifying. Yeah, I, re- I remember seeing that and thinking it was really creepy and freaky. Then I watched it years later and realized it was actually like a corny 80s comedy. Yeah, just like <laughs> a, 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 a super dumb movie. It's about as scary as Home Alone. Yeah, not <laughs> um, not uh, unlike but definitely not as strange as the movie Nothing But Trouble of the same genre, which you may not be familiar with. Posterity has not been kind of that very, very weird movie that has um, a lot of big Hollywood celebrities in it. Let's, uh, let's introduce you for the, for the people who tune in regularly. They uh, likely don't know Donald, Ca- Donald Calabrese. Uh, first of all, maybe we'll introduce you by saying, where the hell are you? Your background is weird. Yes, this is not a green screen. This is a real life independent bookstore in Sydney, Nova Scotia called On Paper Books. Or if you're looking over my shoulder, On Paper Boom. <laughs> so you run a bookstore on Charlotte Street in Sydney. I would say uh, the island of Cape Breton's best bookstore. Right. Not only independent bookstore. It's better than whatever's at the mall there. Yeah, uh, we, we just opened in December. Um. We actually have a not too bad section of stories of weirdness and the supernatural. Well, I I don't know if you can be like a Nova Scotia based small or any East Coast based small independent bookstore and not have those books. Because that's really, I don't know what it is about the East Coast of Canada, but we make a lot of books that, that collect and compile ghost stories i wonder if it all goes back to this book that i'm going to pull out whoa i have an old copy i don't have the cover but that's an old copy of blue nose ghosts oh nice it's a super old uh version i don't think it's first edition 
but it's pretty close. It's a stone cold classic, no matter what. Um, yeah. But other than running on paper books, who is, who are you? Well, uh, your audience may not know, or maybe they do know that you Jordan used to be in a band mm -hmm. in Sydney, Nova Scotia mm -hmm. in the early 21st century. And I was one of the one of your bandmates, which is how we got to know each other. Yeah, you played the giant fiddle, also known as the uh, stand-up bass. That is correct. And in fact, mm -hmm. before I even knew you, my first exposure to your music was a very, very odd music video with distorted voices and like the maybe like those nineteen teens bony skeleton animations or something. I wonder what that was. I don't. I don't know. It, it was I'm, weird, and I was I was pretty impressed. Hmm. Well, um, somehow that evolved into talking about Canadian crime mysteries and the weird on YouTube, amongst other places. So yeah, right. It's still weird. Um, but yeah, we played in airport together. You were a beloved bass player, and uh, airport's coming back. So we don't we don't need to spoil it yet. But we're I don't think we're done. I may be almost forty, and you may be almost. 40 as well yeah i'm getting there age is nothing but a number um anyway i brought a selection of books and these uh i chose um mainly because you probably have a lot of these on your shelves here these are all local i have a, a wall of nova scotia and east coast based books but these are some of my favorites so i already showed you blue nose ghosts um i have the follow-up book which is Helen Creighton's Blue Nose Magic. I don't know if you've ever seen that or flipped through it. It's similar to Blue Nose Ghosts, where, where for people who don't know Helen Creighton, I guess you would describe her as a folklorist. And she went around the East Coast collecting stories, poems. I think she even may have done recipes and such. But um, Blue Nose Ghosts is all ghost stories. Blue Nose Magic is more like witchcraft and you know that sort of thing it's it's a really creepy strange book um but i think my favorite the kind i've always preferred are the books that are i got my hands full this kind of thing ghost stories of canada that's john Columbo. i got i love the cover of this one it's called today's ghosts and spirits by uh Bill McTagg. And that's like, if you're talking about a book that's independently produced. I love the <laughs> the cover shot on that. Like the, this is yeah. two guys who, who could not agree on what the, the outfit theme was going to be <laughs> like, that's how, you know, like the content is what they worked on for this. Yeah. The, the picture for the cover was certainly an afterthought. It's like, who has the creepier front step? I, I guess you do, Bill. Are we going to do the, you know, the black blazer thing? It's like, no, we're in the windbreaker. <laughs> I got somewhere to be after this, so I'm not going to have time to change. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you've seen books by this author come through your store. This is Steve Vernon's Haunted Harbors, Halifax Haunts, and Where the Ghosts Are. So These... a, a bit uh, about, about that, learning lots of new things as a, a book retailer now. Uh, Where the Ghosts Are is a book mm -hmm. uh, which is new, uh, yeah. which we order frequently from Nimbus, and we cannot keep it on the shelf. 
It is wow. in our top five best-selling books. I have a signed copy that says to Jordan Bonaparte, a good buddy and a great podcaster. Very when Steve nice. was, uh, when Steve was writing this, I, um, I sent him a few story ideas and I'm like, here's some good stories that you've never wrote about that you have to. And he did one of them. It was me who told him to do, um, the, uh, Jesus uh, appearing at the Tim Hortons. Oh, nice. He included that. And it was, uh, I sent him like all the research I had done. Cause I did an episode about it. I think he may have given me a thanks at the end of the book. No, what? I think he just said, thank you. What happened? <laughs> so, so the, the joke locally, because I have not done any research on that is that they changed the light bulb and it went away. Is that just like, is that just a bad Cape Breton joke punchline? No, absolutely what happened. I actually, I'll send them to you because you'll love this. I went and got, um, for people who don't know what we're talking about, in the area that Donnie and I grew up in Cape Breton, um, in North Sydney at a Tim Hortons, this kind of insane thing happened in the 90s where people thought they saw Jesus Christ's face appear on the bricks of the Tim Hortons. And it got so intense that there were like busloads of people coming from other parts of the country to camp out. And they were about to shut down highways and stuff because it was just so many people in and around the Tim Hortons just, you know, being there. But I went uh, to the archive, the public archives, and I got all the newspaper clippings from all the different East Coast newspapers writing cool. about it. So they had like interviews and photos and including interviews with like corporate Tim Hortons people and the franchise owner in Sydney. But um, eventually what happened was they changed the, uh, the light bulb because it was kind of like a light bulb and the way the light shown down the reflection of the light and the kind of the texture of the bricks is what made jesus's face happen it kind of looked changed... like that there was like a dirt or film on the the light shade you know the way those research recessed bulbs are yeah yeah and, and it, it just something to do with that i see caper to bert in the chat is is clarifying it's the bredore tim hortons um i've well, always i thought it was that... florence I've called, and I've I've always called it the North Sydney one, but I've heard Bredore, and then I've had people correct me and say it's Little Bredore, uh, and then people say it's not Little Bredore. Uh, it has a lot of different names for that place, but the um, they eventually changed the light bulb. The image went away and people left. But I got a I did an episode initially telling the story of how it all came to be, but then I got. As often happens, I got an email from someone a little while later after I did the episode and they're like, uh, you know, nobody really knows what actually happened, but it was me and my buddies that did that. And so I wrote the guy back and I'm like, you know, what are you talking about? And he told me the story of how Jesus came to be on the Tim Hortons. And it was such a perfect story that, you know, I, this is what I believe happened. And I did a follow-up episode where I interviewed him. Basically the story is, uh, where that Tim Hortons is, there was like a drinking spot in the woods across the street. I think they called it maybe the barn or something where people in that area, underage drinkers would go in the woods and drink um, alcohol. At the end of the night, the guy that I talked to, my guest on that episode, and a couple of his friends on the way home, they stopped at Tim Hortons to be like, we're going to get like hot chocolates and coffees and stuff just to give us energy to get home. And, you know, we've all been there. They went in and did it. Um got their stuff. And when they left, one of the guys had ordered a tea with milk, but this clerk accidentally put cream in it. So when he got outside, he took a drink and anyone who drinks tea with milk, you, when you, you've probably had the experience where someone put cream in it and it's just disturbing. He took it and he got mad and he threw the tea on the ground because they messed up his order. 
and it splashed everywhere. And as soon as the splash happened, like the image of Christ appeared on the, on the wall and they started to tell people like what had happened and forgot about it. And according to him, a few days later, there were buses of people outside and sermons happening in the parking lot and they just laughed it off. I believe the guy. After the, after the transubstantiation of the milk becoming the holy yogurt on the wall of the Hortons, <laughs> that is when, you know, that, that's a miracle. And that is a miracle, but simply um, put. Yeah. Anyway, uh, last two books. This one is kind of a, I think that's a throwaway like cover. That's definitely, um, like a, an image they could have probably just grabbed online, like a public domain, not public domain. What's that called? Um, stock footage stock kind phone, of thing. Yeah. Ghosts of Nova Scotia. Still great. And it's a, it's a marvelous cover. It does the trick also, but what about the font? Is that font not more for like army? Yeah, sort of it's like the that? size of a side of a bullet box. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like the kookier these things are the, in my opinion, the, the higher quality there. It just, Oh, actually that... <laughs> you want to talk cookie on the back of ghosts of Nova Scotia. Look at the author's photo. It's like a wedding photo in a graveyard. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, last one. And this is the one I'll be, uh, I'll probably read a, a story out of. This is Ghost Stories of Canada by John Columbo. This John Columbo guy, I have a few of his books. I don't even know if he's still alive, but he does. Um, he has a book called True Canadian UFO Stories. And it's this big fat thing that's actually really well done and well written. I saw this for sale at the used bookstore maybe a week or two ago, and I had to buy it. And I think what did it for me is with these books, these style of books, a lot of times the stories are vague, just like the story will be called, um, you know, the gray lady. And it's just, you know, it doesn't give a date or even a location. It's just this vague generic story about a gray lady. I like the ones that have like a date in a location and are organized by like, I can go to Nova Scotia and see all the Nova Scotia ones. Like just for example, as I just open it, I'm in a section of Maritimes and there's a book uh, story called the phantom train of Brett of Bredor. We were just talking about Bredor. Um, But that's what I liked about this book. It's just like well-organized. So um, yeah, the ones that are broken down by genre haunted Mm. houses, uh, you know, phantasms as you're walking home from the tavern, etc. That's a that's a good way to do it. Um, yeah, I've got a couple here. Uh, this is a new one, uh, which is called Screech, specific to uh, Newfoundland. Ghost stories from old Newfoundland. That's how you. Um, and and old Newfoundland is very very old. Um, yeah, there have been ghost stories or European ghost stories, at least in Newfoundland now for over 500 years. This is like, um, you know, tales of, of ghosts in British Columbia are not the same as in Newfoundland because things are like, there is a, a whole lot of history there. And this is, this is a new book and, and mm-hmm. people who are interested can actually find a copy here at On Paper Books. It's a uh, old Newfoundland, like Newfoundland ghost stories are similar to like Halifax and Cape Breton where any kind of port, community or a place on the water we have so much history and so much kind of like 
just I don't know something about being on the water. There's a, like a certain lore that goes along with that. And and there were no comfortable deaths. Mm. Like there's so much misery that leads mm-hmm. to the beginning of a ghost story. You can't uh, walk to the end of the driveway without stumbling over an unmarked grave of a pirate or a murderer or something. Uh, mm. The other one that I that I took off the shelf in the use section is one that many of your uh, listeners and fans would be familiar with, which is Bill Jessam's um, The Stories That Haunt Us. Yeah, I have a few of his books and people, uh, the younger audience may not know, but Bill Jessam used to have a segment on TV that was kind of like Nova Scotia's answer to Unsolved Mysteries. I don't know if it was on like the evening news, but it would just be like a five or 10 minute piece where Bill Jessam would be in like a trench coat in a graveyard and he would tell you a short ghost story. Yeah, that was called Maritime Mysteries. That's exactly it. Yeah. And I seem to recall that there was the there was the segment on the news, but then he also had a series where there, there weren't many episodes, and I don't know if it made it into several seasons, but he did eventually do your your audience could correct me on this. Uh, maybe it just felt like they were long when I was a kid, but he did full episodes and the special effects were not bad when they wanted to show like a ghost washing through the, the bedroom of the farmhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really good because they knew how much money they had. So it wasn't like a girl wearing a flower covered robe. You know, they just sort of made a smear across it. It almost made it a little more haunting. Yeah, uh, there was. Now that you say that, I remember I was researching an ep- a story of a pe- for a past episode. I can't recall what it was, but I remember coming across like a 25 minute long thing that he had done that had all these reenactments. But the one, the stuff that I remember from when I was, I don't know if I was a kid or when this would have been, but I remember like short versions, but maybe they were just kind of, I think he started doing short versions, like kind of on, as a segment on the news and then it got pitched to its own thing. Yeah. I met um, him and, once at the the Christmas Daddy's Telethon when I was a kid. I was in a, a Boy Scout troop and we were handing out timbits to people backstage. And he was there and I couldn't believe it because he, he to me, he was more frightening than Robert Stack. And I thought, like, what is he doing at this Christmas thing? Anyway, I built up the gumption. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't look like Santa. Uh, <laughs> I went and got his autograph and he was absolutely hands down the sweetest old man i'd ever met there weren't many kids going up to him and asking him for his autograph so i think maybe he was kind of uh stoked about that but yeah what a what a cool guy yeah uh, they, uh did you know his cousin is um fonts jessam i didn't know it was Fons- his cousin i thought it was like his nephew or his son or something maybe it's it's either cousin or nephew but i think it's his nephew and he yeah, wrote Fons- the mcdonald's murder book right? fonts was yeah fonts wrote the book uh, the McDonald's murders book. He was my guest on the three part series I did about the McDonald's murder. Right. And he was also um, like, you know, you watch Simpsons and there's that news reporter that <laughs> is the only face on the news. When I was a kid, it was Fonch Jessam. Yeah, was that's that, right. That yeah. face and that voice. It was when my, like we would, after supper, my dad would go watch the news and Fonts would talk for an hour straight. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to uh, run and grab one off the shelf. Give me five seconds because I got one more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll carry the show. Uh, oh, something interesting could happen because behind Donnie right there, uh, where it says the, the glass window, that is Charlotte Street in Sydney. And if anywhere is haunted with 
either ghosts or social problems it's charlotte street in downtown sydney um i think what donnie needs to do is set up a little like webcam that just points out that window and let it stream because you would have some amazing footage someday i'll tell i'll i'll do an episode where i just share stories that would have taken place on charlotte street outside of donnie's store window what i was saying is uh since your screen just showed your entrance there for the bookstore how amazing it would be if you just had a webcam pointed at Charlotte Street live streaming 24 hours a day. Well, we 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 have a, a little security camera in here, um, not because it's such a crime. It actually caught a leak in the ceiling the other night. Uh, my wife, oh, really? Allison, did catch the leak before we were flooded. Uh, That's good. So we're very happy to have it. But yeah, every once in a while, if it senses something, in the middle of the night, we'll catch the alert in the morning and there'll be somebody oh. like, you know, walking home from wherever. And I uh, have um, having a great time. I, ha- I have a ring ring system, like the ring doorbells and internal camera. I don't. Um, and it does the same kind of it, what mine does is if it sees someone around my driveway or outside my house or in my house, it sends me like a text right away. Uh, but some mornings I like I wake up and I get a text and or, or I'll have gotten a text through the night and I watch the video and it'll be like I got a lot of videos of like deer walking mm. like right past my car going from my front yard to my backyard. So there's lots of deer in my neighborhood and they eat our tulips and my plants and stuff. But um, I did have I wish I had the video handy, but I did have uh, a video of a dude trying to break into my car and it's it almost looks staged how like a generic of a criminal this guy was all um striped t-shirt and a sack with a dollar sign on it no but literally had a balaclava (laughs) (laughs) like walking up uh oh man i gotta find it here since i brought it up uh i don't know how well you'll be i even titled i put the video up online at one point and i titled it like a generic bad guy tried to get in my car oh here it is so let's see if you can see this One sec. I think I replay it. Let's see if you can catch this. Okay. So that's like my car. That's my doorbell. Whoops. Let me replay it here. So that's my car. This is my doorbell catches this. Check this out. Replay. Whoops. One sec. This is very difficult to do. This is live TV, folks. You can't. There's surprises. Oh, my God. There's an ad. It's like a 10-second <laughs> video. It's worth it. Trust me. Okay. Well, while you watch that ad, I'll... Okay. Here we go. We're watching the ad. F it. It's not going to happen. Take my word for it. This fellow, he's walking with a limp. He has a balaclava on. And he goes up. There's upright bass music playing behind him. (laughs) Yeah, it's just it was it was so like generic that it was almost laughable to see this Uh, guy doing this. But luckily, my doors were locked. So, so the other book I went to find, which evidently must have sold today, is the speaking of evergreen classic Ron Kaplan's Cape Breton Book of the Night. Uh, I don't know that one. So Ron Kaplan edited and wrote uh, Cape Breton Magazine which was, uh, you know, it was on par with the kind of 
heavy hitting folklore work that Ellen, Helen Creighton was doing. Uh, Kaplan did a couple hundred issues of this and you would have seen it around Cape Breton and you still see it at secondhand, big, big broadsheet magazines, all in black and white with great photos and stories uh, from people who have been here rooted for a long time. Stories about Cape Breton. And the really fascinating thing about the stories is that Kaplan would transcribe exactly, including like uh, accents into the stories. And okay, a lot of so times, yeah, so like based on the way the per- he would like uh, change the spelling of the word so it would match their right. sound. Exactly. So when okay. words are slurred together and the little isms, the idiosyncrasies of Cape Breton dialect are all in there. Yeah, uh, I like when word they do for that. word. Yeah, and. A lot of those ended up being ghost stories because, as you said, the land is rich with tales of uh, the supernatural, and many of them made it into it to the point where he published this whole other book uh, called Cape Breton Book of the Night. Anyway, what I did find on the shelf, which might be interesting to your Halifax readers, is The Dark Side Ooh. of Life in Victorian Halifax. Ah. Um, and while it's not... Uh, uh, story of go- uh, ghost stories. It is is a remarkable book because um, it reminds us that Halifax is very much like a crude, disgusting pirate town where lots of murders and grisly deaths happened uh, oh, yeah. throughout the 19th century. And as Halifax was sort of like finding itself and getting a footing as an international city, uh, there was a lot of that going on so that's a really fascinating book too yeah they say you, you can't like dig a hole in halifax without digging into an old graveyard <laughs> and it's like that's the way it is you always hear i have a friend who's an archaeologist and he always lets me know when there's interesting stuff going archaeological related stuff going on and often it, it'll be the construction of a building or they're tearing up a road and the these graveyards that were for you know, poor people or whatnot back in the day. It's like, they're not even listed on maps. So you just go to dig somewhere and you're like, Oh my God, we buried a bunch of poor people here, you know, 200 years ago and nobody cared, but archeologists <laughs> do now that's for sure. But um, yeah, Halifax has a lot of, uh, a lot of the, the Victorian era, the early history. There's a lot of stuff that even if it's not a ghost story, it might as well be, I can yeah. imagine. Uh, I want that book. Will you set that aside for me? I'll be home in two weeks. And you I'll got it. it. Absolutely. Just stick it, stick it, uh, put it in like the romance section <laughs> and that people will just pass it and I'll grab it. You'll probably want to know what the person who pulls it out of the romance section and then decides to take it up to the counter. Yeah. Like this is not romantic They're at home, <laughs> but I can't <laughs> like put it down. <laughs> Halifax sucks. <laughs> yeah. um, so let's get into it. Donnie, have you ever seen anything that made you think you're among ghosts? So, personally, no. However, there have been these moments in my life where a credible source uh, has told me a ghost story. Like the last person on earth who I expect to tell a ghost story mm-hmm. tells me something that they saw or they heard or whatever. This has happened to me several times, mm-hmm. right? They like, Okay, so there's a member of my family who is a very serious person who you would expect to uh, 
treat with disdain any stories of not only supernatural but sentimentality in any respect emotion is mm-hmm. uh is in bad taste to him uh he told me a story one night he was parked at a, a red light um and experienced a forerunner the thought crossed mm-hmm. his mind where he uh he wondered about um the people in his life and he thought which one of us is going to go first and then later that night uh, learned of the death of someone in his family. Wow. Um, and, you know, because you would never expect to hear that from this guy, I think, like, it, like that has to be true. Why, you know, he would, he would never explain something like this because he would, he would laugh in the face of someone who told him mm-hmm. a story like this. It, it could be a wild coincidence, but it's still like a... Sure. Kid, kids of the late 80s, early 90s will call that a thing that makes you go, hmm... Yeah, right. <laughs> like when that happens, when something like that happens, I'm, I'm so, like, but are you, so you hear, heard these stories. Is that enough to make you a believer? Uh, sure. Uh, the other one is actually something I think that we talked about on this very podcast uh, or this live stream in the past. Um, there were two occurrences in the town of St. Andrews by the sea in New mm-hmm. Brunswick. Uh, which, in my opinion, is simply the, the spookiest place on Earth. Uh, it's another I, old town, right? Very old. Settled by loyalists in, uh, after the American Revolution. And so it's already, like, by its very founding, gripped in death and expulsion and so on. Uh, not really a, a great place to, you know, it's, its founding is, is you know, the, the trauma that apparently leads to ghostings is Mm -hmm. all over this place um but two things about that there is um an inn in saint andrews called salty towers which is as much like the adams family mansion as you can find (laughs) that's at least that's open to the public but it's a is a really really weird place um there are these hallways that go nowhere um, staircases that just sort of descend into darkness and then disappear and like, like a suit of armor greets you as you walk through the door mm-hmm. uh, and so the, the first time I'd ever been to this town uh, I was with a band it was just myself and a drummer and we we ended up there it was a, an incredibly foggy day and this place just sort of like emerged from the fog and like the, the houses right next door to it disappeared so the bay is totally silent. There's no cars on the road. And we just walk up this old porch into the building. So, and so the guy that I was with, the guy I was playing music with was another one of these, um, you know, scientific, logical to a fault sort of people okay. who would never lower himself to tell, to, to even entertain someone else telling a ghost story, much less explain one himself. So later that night, I was just sorry to interrupt you. I was thinking like, was he with Thomas? People who are listening don't know, but Thomas would see a ghost. It wasn't him. So like he would be, you know, he wouldn't even have gotten out of the car and he's seeing ghosts. And he'll, he'll phone in and he'll tell you about his story about this place is that he was in the shower and he felt a hand goose him as he was showering (laughs) and he turned around. There was no one there. So he was, he was sexually harassed by a ghost at the salty towers. But no, this guy, he, he, he wants nothing to do with it. Um, okay. So we played the gig, and then there were some other musicians. 
it was like a game of clue because we were in the parlor at the end of the night with this guy who was uh, an archaeologist, uh, uh, like, uh, like a, a professional adventurer was there. This woman who was like a widower and wore like a like a fancy dress. It was this cast of people that w- it was just it was laughably like a, a murder mystery or something. Anyway, yeah. th- so my friend went outside for a cigarette and uh, he was standing down on the sidewalk and he heard what he thought was me leave the house and walk down the stairs behind him. And he turned around and there was nothing there. And the, the sound was so potent and so real and the sound of the door closing and so on hmm. that he, he turned around and, and it was like he had walked into a different reality because the sound was so real. And he stood there on the sidewalk and smoked his entire pack of cigarettes because he was so terrified. You know, nothing like this had ever happened to him before. And eventually wow. he built up the gumption to, to dart into the house and refused to be by himself for the rest of the time we were there. Uh, even the next day, uh, you know, was, I, don't, I don't think he slept a wink that night. There happened to be a thunderstorm as we were there. Of course. Um, yeah. And it just got nuttier and nuttier. Um, at one yeah. point, we saw a light glowing in the basement across the courtyard from the, the room we were in. Um, and one of the residents of the place said, like, I don't know what's in that room. She said, like, <laughs> I, I've never been down there before. So I don't know. <laughs> like you, I've never had like a personal like one on one experience. Uh, the, the closest thing I had, and, and it's like, when I explain this, it will never come across as like powerful as when it actually happened, because it's sound, it'll sound pretty uneventful. But I had a friend sleeping over my house. This is when we were probably like 17 years old or something. My bedroom's in the basement of my house. And we were like getting ready for, we were like, I don't know, playing video games and stuff. We shut everything down. He was like in a blankets and pillow on the floor. I was in my bed shut off the lights. We're like going to sleep. And all of a sudden, like, I just had this feeling come over me as if like, um, almost like I got electrocuted and I like jumped right out of bed and he jumped up at the same time. And I was like, what was that? And he's like, I don't know. Did you like, did you hear something? And I was like, no, I didn't hear something. Like I felt something. And he's like, I just heard like, uh, like a, a loud noise and the, and I thought the light came on. And so it was, I, like, I don't know what it could have been, but there was a part of me that right afterwards, I was like, maybe like, I don't know, like a ghost, like passed through my room and just like screwed to this. But that was one thing where it, it was just, it doesn't sound as wild as it was when it happened, but that's one story. Uh, the only other experience that I had, so to speak, is um, the house that I'm in right now. We bought this house maybe eight years ago and it was an estate sale. The prior owner had passed away and his kids were selling the house, you know, fully furnished sight on scene, like a cheap price and all this stuff. And anyway, we bought the house knowing that the prior owner had just passed away in it very recently. Um, we move in the house and I knew very little about this guy. I knew his name. I was, cause I was getting mail from him and stuff. And maybe the first or second day that I was here, I was, um, 
under the stairs, uh, like from my top level to my bottom level under the stairs is like a storage area. And when I was putting stuff in storage, I could see like up on this little ledge, like a book. And I pulled the book out and it was a photo album. And I went through it and I'm like, oh, like this, this family, like they, when they took all their personal effects, they probably didn't know about this photo album. And it was really old anyway. So I, um, and got in touch with a real estate agent and gave them the photo album back, but I did get a look at it and I could tell who the owner of the house was based on the photos in this book. I knew it was him anyway, maybe three weeks later, my son, who was like three or four at the time said he saw someone in our backyard and I was like, Oh, weird. Like, when was this? And he's like, yeah, there was a guy just there. And the way he described, I looked, there's no one there. And the way he described the guy sounded like it was the same physical characteristics of what I saw in the photo. And I'm thinking like, you know, that sounds a lot like the prior owner. I didn't think anything to, or I didn't think too much of it, but what I did do being a weirdo is I contacted a, um, like a paranormal investigation kind of fella uh, that I had been in contact with, like possibly for the show. It was kind of was what I was thinking. And he came to my house with uh, two others that are in like his paranormal investigation troop. Oh, wow. This is intense. Oh, it's going to get weirder. Um, Anyway, but I'm still like not sold on what happened. But anyway, they came to my house and we planned it at a time where my kids and Mrs. Nighttime wouldn't be here. And what I what they offered to do is just kind of walk around the house see what they sense and maybe do like a smudging ceremony, which is like you burn a certain leaf and it like resets your, the mojo of your place, so to speak. Um, one of the people that came in was like the paranormal investigator who had all the equipment and stuff. The other was someone who did the smudging. And then the third was someone who is like a psychic medium that feels that they can really connect with places. And this person was intense. She came in and when she shook my hand, she like held it. She's like staring at me and then she shut her eyes and then she let me go. And I could tell like she was like reading me or whatever. <laughs> but anyway, uh, and, but I was also thinking like, this is quite the performance. Um, yeah, she was like reading your credit card information with some kind <laughs> of like one of those magnetic things. Yeah, exactly. She was um, pleasing you. But what they did was uh, when, when they were here, they looked around the house and took readings of different stuff and nothing really came out of it. But what she did say, the psychic one, she said, what I feel in this house is that there's someone watching over it and not because they think it's their place, their space, but they feel like a part of them is here. That was kind of what she said, but any, but what stuck with me, was the way she described it, the person who owned this house before me was kind of like a handyman. So every part of the house, like the house would have been built, but every little part of the house has like this little thing that he changed or did after the, after the fact, like I'm constantly finding like just weird little, like, you know, like hooks and odd places that he was using or just, yeah, just weird stuff. And a part of me thinks like if, there was if he did stick around his spirit it was maybe just because like so much of his like ingenuity and creativity went into like making this house his when he was alive i don't know i but i didn't i didn't see him and they did smudging and everything's been fine since so that's my i gotta think like the the that i I mean i love the those shysters who come in and and sort of like with the 
the black light and you know they're looking for ectoplasm and all that stuff like <laughs> I, I think that's great i i applaud it's them fun for for doing that um it's such a a pile of of bullshit right but and because the stories are you know there's a there's always like an element of like maybe it's hallucination but maybe it's like a hallucination induced by some kind of like an undetectable energy right so mm -hmm. there's just like a, a neither dimension that that uh, you know how likely is it that you're sort of your oscilloscope is going to be picking up this kind of weird thing that's happening on like anatomic brain level or something like yeah. it, it's fantastic. It's, it's like, it's such great uh, showmanship that like, I love every second of it. Yeah, I, I don't think it, it does, there's any connection between that and these experiences that people seem to have. A lot of the tools they use are really no different than like a Ouija board or something. It, it's more about, like if you've ever gone on like a ghost hunt, I've been on a few of them where we had the equipment and stuff and it's, it, it's all about the mood of the place, because if it's a creepy place, you're going to, you know, it's going to help. And also the people you're with. So if you get a really cool group of people to go do this in a really cool place that has some history, it, it's good. Just whether you brought in a Ouija board or some weird black lights or whatever else, you're just going to have an awesome time. And I think I see it as, the, the ghost hunting stuff stuff I see it as entertainment like like a toy more than anything else like I think I believe that ghosts exist uh, but maybe not in the sense that you know someone with a sheet floating around but I do think that like what it comes down to for me is um so we're both living things and we have our own personalities that are partially made up of our past experiences and partially like whatever we're genetically predisposed to. And, you know, there's all this stuff. Uh, our hearts are beating, pumping blood that keep our body alive. We eat and get nutrients and that sustains us. But there's some like something that turns the whole thing on, like a spark of electricity or something that allows your body to like turn on and give you life. And that whatever that spark of electricity is when we die like electricity doesn't disappear like it has to go somewhere so i think when i'm when i die whatever the little like blip of electricity is that keeps me alive that's just going to disperse into the air or into somewhere it's just going to go back up to space where it maybe came from eventually but i do think that there's some kind of like energy or something that stays behind after you pass away but i don't know how that energy would interact with people or stick to a place but i do think like there's something that's going on with that with that this, i don't know it can't be entirely um like incidental or like learned or cultural right the idea that there are creepy places and that the idea of ghosts and afterlife seems to persist among disparate cultures before you know, pre-contact. And, and it, it could be that there is some sort of like primal uh, mythology that, that has gone forth with every different uh, group of humans and, and, and they've sort of imagined it. But at the same time, like there are, there are real similarities to these kind of phenomena, like seeing someone after they're dead is not just a Western European thing. 
Um, mm-hmm. And it's not just uh, like a, a, a Northern Asian thing. You know, this, this, this kind of story exists everywhere. Mm-hmm. And there's, there are uh, researchers now in both the humanities and in neuroscience who think about things like, where is mind? Uh, where is consciousness located? To say that it's just in your brain doesn't really add up because um, there's like the, the entire body seems to be connected to consciousness in one way or another. Uh, and it, it's very mysterious. And, you know, these quote unquote out of body experiences seems to suggest that consciousness maybe is tethered to I don't know, magnetic fields or like, or this mm. like X dimension that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I, I, even as I'm saying this, I, I realize that I'm kind of talking out of my ass, but um, th- you know, there are, there are actual scientific mysteries and uh, the mysteries of like sociology and stuff that, you know, how, how is it that these, um, these cultural phenomena tend to pervade every culture and how, you know, it, it, the, it's worth thinking about the the gaps in the in the knowledge about consciousness mm-hmm. um, and memory. I, yeah, what what um what I'm thinking? Like, I often think of the human body as like a computer, just because I know computers and how it's made. And obviously, like, you know, the I guess the heart would be our a processor. Our brain is like our hard drive with our memory, and you know, and I with a computer, like we have all this equipment, like a human body can catch a virus, just like a computer can. It screws with its code, which would be our DNA, but on a computer, it's, you know, the operating system or whatever, the ones and zeros, but like your computer only works when you like hit power and connect it to electricity, which is this invisible force. Um, anyway, I, I, some, I'm sure there's someone who wrote a book or something exploring that idea. And maybe they, understand it but uh, that's something i always come back to but anyway what um i kept the caller on hold for a while there donnie so let's get to them hey caller sorry to keep you waiting hopefully you're not calling about a paranormal emergency yeah oh it's Anne marie uh Anne marie <laughs> welcome I don't need you to come rescue me tonight, Jordan. oh good i was where i didn't have my uh ghostbusters costume on so i was worried uh-huh. that it'd be a problem how are you doing i'm good i have an actual terrifying story Oh, is it, did it, is this something that you're from Halifax? Is this something that happened in Halifax? Yeah. Yeah. In Hammond's Point, my best friend's house, actually. All right. Well, tell me this. Uh, When did this happen? First of all, I was probably 11, 12, 13 at the time. Okay. And I used to stay at her house all the time. You know, we were best friends and her dad said to me one night, he's like, are you sure you want to sleep here tonight? I was like, why? He's like, well, uh, there's rumor that my dad haunts this house, and I thought, hmm, that's kind of weird, right? Being a kid, I didn't think anything of it. So anyway, we all go to bed. We're all asleep, like everybody's upstairs asleep. And I wake up, and I'm hearing like these knocking noises, things being thrown around. You know, the hot tub was turning on. The the toilet was flushing. Nobody was using the washroom. Like, uh, there was just, like, uh, chairs sliding across the floor. And wow. I was laying there. I'm like, holy shit. You know, <laughs> being a kid. And, of course, you know, 
being a kid, he drank too much coffee for bed and he has to go to the bathroom. I'm laying there. I'm like, what do you mean being a kid? You drink too much pop. Have you watched the show? Emory? I'm a 40 year old man drinking too much pop. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I'm like, I'm laying there and I'm like, I really have to go to the bathroom, but I don't want to because these weird things are going on. And I woke my friend up. I said, Hey, did you hear that? She's like, no. I was like, what? You slept through that? I said there were, she's like, yeah, that's grampy. I was like, what? And from that night on, I did not stay another night in that house. Wow, Emery. Um, I like, I have a few theories on that. One is that your friend's father really didn't want you to stay over. And he's like, are you sure? Like, this place is haunted. And then when you decided to stay, he's like, I'm having a few drinks tonight and I'm going to make her crazy. <laughs> no, he was like in her, in like, I could hear him snoring. Like, he was snoring. Everybody was sound asleep. Wow. Um, that's interesting. Um, so I, I'm guessing you're a believer then. Um, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I don't know. I have really no idea. And when we were kids, we used to have um, family reunions out in Meadowbrook, up past New Glasgow. Mm -hmm. And right by, my, right by the community center, there was an old haunted house oh. as well. So like the our dads would take us down there and you know it's actually really scary my cousin for no unexplained reason fell down the stairs and broke her wrist and you know it just i don't know well, it's kind of scary as a kid you know yeah it's um it's definitely scary as a kid but i think i still think it's fascinating as an adult and it uh it is i i i I'm a believer. I think it's one of the world's great mysteries, not the world's it's like one of humanity's great mysteries. And I think it all boils down to like what happens to us when we go and what's happening that we can't see around us. But I appreciate you sharing the stories, Emery. Yeah. And then when I'm walking home from work, I get this like really weird feeling that somebody is like irking me. I don't know mm. if that's related. Mm. <laughs> that could be a lot of things. Either way, you should carry mace and a cross. I can, I can, I can do Kung Fu, so. <laughs> All right. Have a great night. You too. Bye. Bye. Uh, sounds like Anne-Marie, uh, Donnie, it sounds like Anne-Marie was involved in like a typical poltergeist activity at a friend's house. I think according to Occam's Razor, that your initial theory might be having played a prank or two on my nieces, nephews, and my own kids of that nature. <laughs> it sounds like that the dad warned her night. of the ghost at the beginning of the night. I think uh, perhaps lends credence to the fact that maybe he was pulling their leg. Yeah. I, then I again, can, the part I'm of me. Th oh, go, go ahead. I was going to, I was going to say, I picture him like fake snoring really loud <laughs> as he's moving the chair. <laughs> this was like, like, I hate when Anne-Marie stays here. <laughs> yeah, grown-up Ferris Bueller has like a recording of himself snoring <laughs> so that he could mess with his kids' sleepover. Yeah. The other thing is, that, well, okay, if, if you know, the ghost hunter in me says, well, that's, that's the example of there being um, like a hallucinatory event with somebody who doesn't hallucinate. Or somebody mm -hmm. who's not on drugs or ha is not overtired or something, um, but is is primed for 
uh, an event. It's like you were saying, like going on a ghost tour or like walking through what you feel to be a haunted house. If you stand at the stairs alone in uh, you know, a spooky house by yourself and stare up the stairs into the darkness long enough, like eventually shapes are going to form there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and that's that's one part of it that makes me a non-believer or, or a bit more skeptical is that the ghost story needs to really build the setting and explain to you its history and how creepy it is and and because that gets you in the mood for it and without that it's like the whole thing kind of falls apart or at least doesn't have the effect which if like hauntings and this sort of thing were real the the kind of the lighting and the mood of the place wouldn't be as important as like why it's haunted or whatever you know what i mean the other yeah that's what i i think generally um the problem is just the sheer volume of normal people who have these stories about really belligerent ghosts in their houses who like there are there are many people who live normal lives that don't necessarily believe in ghosts who will tell you stories about sitting on a couch and hearing loud footsteps and doors slamming closed and like things being out of place when they leave the house and like you know they'll it's not like they're trying to sell you something. They say, this is really weird. Everyone in my house experiences this. And it can't just be that there's like a mischievous scamp who lives two doors down in all of these cases who goes over and screws with them. Mm-hmm. So either there's a window open in the attic that's making the doors close and everything, or, you know, maybe it's just extremely common. We got some in here, Donnie. Okay. Hello. How's it going, caller? Hey, Jordan. Hey, who's uh who's the haunted caller? <laughs> it's Pinky. <laughs> hey, Pinky Cyclop. Um, I saw you in the chat. You want to buy the book from Donnie? I've already asked him. It's called. Okay. When I'm done reading it, I will um, I'll I'll lend it to you. And don't you dare okay. send uh Randy over there trying to buy it. Donnie's hiding it in the romance section. Okay. <laughs> so uh, what what do you what do you got to share? First of all, are are you are you a believer? Yes, actually, um, I had an experience. I, um, my ghost story involves teenage suicide, so I want to make sure if anyone's triggered by that, just a trigger warning, just to make sure they're okay with it or they need to step away, just to make sure it's okay. All right, thanks for saying that. That was thoughtful. But yeah, but yeah, tell us the story, Pinky. You go ahead. Okay, um, so this happened when I was about 17 years old. Uh, I had experience where I had to basically live in a girls group home um, for an, just about a year. So um, to, to start off with, I was in upstairs was two bathrooms, right? Mm-hmm. And I was in one bathroom and I just had this premonition. I'm like, out of nowhere, just a thought. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to come to this bathroom for a really long time. And I didn't know why there was nothing wrong with the bathroom. So about a week later, a, a new girl moved in and we were talking. I just, we had chores, right? So I folded um, bed sheets and, and towels. And when I met this girl, we were chatting just like we we're old friends, but I, did, I really didn't know her. And she, I said to her, could you happen to open up the door for me to get into the bathroom to put the linens away? She said, sure, no problem. So... Um, again, I didn't really know this girl all that well. Mm-hmm. Um, she ended up 
committing suicide that night. Um, the last thing I heard before I fell asleep, um, we were all like teenage girls, we're all very emotional and stuff, and we were all like having a bad night. And I heard because the way the, the bathrooms are, they had to remove this since like a, a few months after the fact. But you know those public bathroom stalls where it's metal? Yeah. And she and the, the reason why I brought up the bed sheets, she took one of the bed sheets and used that, right? Wow. So the noise I heard was her body slamming against the stall. And I, in my head, I didn't know what was going on. I was just like, whoever did that, I'm so angry. Everyone just go to sleep, just calm down. So about 15 minutes later, um, I was woken up by everyone screaming and I was told what happened. So I'm not gonna go into the details of that because she is someone local and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I want to like the family, right? And, and, and this was, so, yeah, sorry. This was in like the Halifax area? Yeah, this okay. was in the Halifax area, early 2000s. Okay. Um, so a few things that, like, after the girl died, um, it was it was a long process because, obviously, they tried to save her organs and whatnot. So a few positive things happened, at least out of that, where her heart was donated. A few things, like a 17-year-old heart is, like, that's one of the best things to get, right? Mm -hmm. So... Um, a few things happened around the house that we all kind of noticed. Um, a few things like the lights were going. If we said her name, things will switch on and off. Um, even the workers would like, we could almost like get, get a glimpse of her. Like we all were like, are we going crazy? Like we can almost see her, but we knew, like we could just feel her presence. I, a few months later, I was in with one of the other girls upstairs and we were in the same class and we were studying together and doing a project and then we could hear like a rattling like furniture rattling and I didn't hear it initially I was too I was just in my studies but she's like listen and I was listening to it I was like she's like there's no one else upstairs nearby us to make all that noise and she's like it's coming from her side of the room and I was like I, we just sat there in, in stillness and we were just like wow hmm. and then the weirdest one was um, another few months later, um, me and the same girl, because uh, we had a lot of classes together, we were sitting in my room, and it was just like that typical cold breeze just circling around us, and it was like one of those chilly breezes, like you couldn't ignore it, and she got freaked out, she's like, is she's like is there any room uh, windows open in your room i went around i'm like no there's not there's not there's not so i sat back down on my bed and she was sitting there and then you could feel almost like some it was like someone bent down and brushed their hair against our forearms mm -hmm. and then she's like did you feel that and she was getting more mad and i was like that was really strange and then it felt like someone was holding our four like our arms like one hand on each other and then i said the girl's name that passed away a few months ago and she's like yes like it was like it was like her confirmation of yes the strangest part about the whole experience was because obviously I was very distraught about the whole situation was another girl from the home that she wasn't there during the first experience but she said to me I think I want to take you to a healing session it was hard to explain but I said I was open to it I was like fine I'll go to it this medium I I don't like I I believe in mediums and I don't but I really believed in this medium she came up to me out of nowhere she's like 
like there was no way this me and this woman's our paths would have crossed because obviously I was 17 and she, this lady was much older. Mm. Uh, she came up to me and she said, you had a friend die recently, didn't you? And she described my friend and in my teenage mind, I was like six months ago was a long time ago, but she said about six months ago. Right. And she's like, I have all these messages for you and all like all these internal thoughts that I didn't express to no one. I was like, wow, why do you, why are you coming up to me wow. on a Saturday morning at 10 a.m. to tell me that my friend just is saying I'm OK now? Let me go and just don't keep me earthbound. And I didn't understand that at first, but then it kind of made sense when I thought about it. Wow. Um, that's like, that's quite the story. I didn't expect that. Oh, no. Yeah, it, it's it's a, it's a very, it's, it's in one of those experiences that I, I decided why I wanted to make sure everyone understood. Like it's a, it's a ghost story, but it's, it's a suicide too and mental health issues and all that. Like obviously 2001 is a lot different than say 20 years from now. Like I think we have a better understanding and whatnot. And oh, well, that's, that's heavy pinky. Um, you know, it was, it wasn't like a mean haunting. It wasn't like anything like that. It was like, I'm still with you girls. Like in, okay. Well, Donnie and I are going to chat this out off air. Thanks for sharing okay. it though. Oh yeah. Sure. Wow, I didn't uh, didn't expect that, Donnie. But that sounds like that there's this kind of this idea of like a traumatic event and some kind of like echo or something that sticks in there, and that seems like what was going on there. But then there's also the idea of um, the people left behind were also traumatized, so they would have a reason to kind of be open to something. What what do you think of all this? Yeah, I mean, I I hope that. Pinky and and whoever else was there, you know, has a an opportunity to to seek help because it's a, clearly a devastating traumatic incident that absolutely kind of exceeds the you know what we're doing here right now, <laughs> frankly. Um, but you know, as far as the 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 supernatural part of this you're right it is it's consistent with a lot of these stories that over centuries come with different names you know so now the Mm -hmm. the prevailing theory of of what is happening here is is connected to these traumatic moments which are connected to places right Mm -hmm. um you never you know the stories are never about a, a ghost that sort of follows somebody from town to town except in in memory perhaps they're always rooted to these places where things happen in the past it would have been called like uh these these people who have like unfinished business right yeah Uh, exactly which is another way of talking about trauma trauma wasn't like the the kind of word that that you would use anymore and 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 then it goes further and further back the, the the beings you know they tend to hang around where there was like some sort of miserable end. Um, mm-hmm. and, and now we call that, that trauma, but you know, th- I think that is connected to something I was saying before that like, um, it, it's the, the, the person who has died, but also the people who have to, to relive that somehow. And mm-hmm. I, I certainly hope that, that she's not, uh, just living with that because you know people who have endured that kind of thing should be uh, seeking uh, professional help yeah absolutely um 
with so many ghost stories are events like she described that happened a hundred years ago or 500 years ago or whatever. But I, I saw, here's something that happens and I see it often and I find it really disrespectful and just discuss, just, dist- I don't know what it is about it, but it just doesn't sit well with me is there's this kind of genre of bloggers and YouTubers and stuff. And what they'll do is they'll take either an unsolved murder or a missing persons case that's recent, like, you know, like last 10 years and they'll do like seances or whatever. And they'll try to connect with, you know, someone who was murdered three years ago or something. And I find it so disturbing, but then again, if they were doing it for like trying to solve some case from, you know, what happened to Amelia Earhart or something, I don't, I don't think I'd have that same reaction. What is it that the whole idea of supernatural and paranormal, it can be kind of the sandbox that's fun and fantasy and whatnot, but there is a line that is crossed with, let's say if I went to the scene of a recent murder or something, and I brought all my equipment and, you know, there's still like police tape up and I'm trying to connect with people. Obviously that's, that's like morally wrong, but what, what is, what is that? Yeah. So the, Amelia Earhart is a great example because I don't know if you, you must remember the show in search of from oh, yeah. Leonard Nimoy hosted. Yeah. Leonard Nimoy. And then, and for whatever reason, that genre of show that I, I guess originated in the seventies and then pervaded through the eighties mm-hmm. and into the nineties. Um, Unsolved mysteries is probably the best example. Yeah. Well known. Although, you know, now that me and my wife are rewatching that show, we sort of realize how, not only just like how great of a TV show that was, but they solved a ton of mysteries. Like, yeah, <laughs> they caught more murderers than the New York City Police Department. You know, <laughs> it, they, they would show a guy like they would describe uh, a murder that happened in 1975. And like the next day they caught the Somehow, guy like he, someone would call in like I, he lives like, next door that to me. That really guy sounds like the like reggie who owns that horse farm you know down the road <laughs> uh the guy who had like obviously a fake mustache but we just thought he was weird um <laughs> but anyway i like there were there were way trashier versions of unsolved mysteries and the thing that they always seem to do, or maybe I was just watching reruns of the same thing, was summon Houdini through seance. Do you ever remember mm-hmm. this? I don't know what oh, the yeah. fact, like he was the guy like they wanted so badly. The reason that they were doing it is like, if we can summon Houdini, he'll tell us his secrets of how mm-hmm. he slithered out of a straitjacket as if like it's I think some it was great some- mystery. I think there was some background to that. I think when Houdini, like before he died or something, he invited people. Like, I, I think he set himself up for it in some way. I, I could be wrong. Oh, sure. but... Well, that was his whole act, right? Like that, yeah. you know, he, he could get out of a barrel that it, without drowning because he was but just could like. he escaped death? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> yeah. he was, he was just in great shape. He was like, he, you know, he could have been an Olympic gymnast or something, but he ended mm-hmm. up being an escape artist instead. But the, the fun of that is like, it's Houdini. Like, um, first of all, you know, he, he died doing what he loved, I guess, getting punched in the stomach, but like being like a, a circus act, for lack of a better word. But like, you know, he wanted to be shrouded in mystery. And there's nothing in bad taste about it because his whole 
uh, entertainment career was based on this this kind of like quasi supernatural thing. So whether it's that or if it's Mackenzie King trying to conjure his dead dog or or just random uh, like spirits, Casper the friendly ghost or like you know, Slimer or something like that's mm-hmm. all fine. Um, there was that example of that uh, one idiot who's now like an amateur boxer, the YouTuber. Um, oh yeah, yeah. He like wandered into the the suicide Paul. forest. Yeah, um, Logan Paul or Jake Paul. He went the he went into the what they call the suicide forest in like China, I think. It, A spot where people often like kill themselves, and he went in there with video with a video camera doing like a live stream or whatever and found a body right and it, it's just so stupid because um th- there's no mystery surrounding it and it's not it's not fun there's no cultural or uh the, like time has not healed that uh you know that's that's a real person who had you know this horror in in their lives and so and it, it, so it's that type of thing is detached from the community of people who are interested in talking about ghosts. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like, and, and the last caller, you know, that that's clearly not fun. Um, but there, there's something mysterious about it to the point where she's interested in talking about it as a supernatural phenomenon. Mm-hmm. It, it strikes me. Yeah. It's, um, it's a topic that's well over our heads to figure out what, is going on with in the intersection of like grief and kind of the way people grieve together and deal with trauma. Like it, uh, there's a lot of that kind of up and uh, involved in that whole story, but it's, um, I think that the point you made, you know, not that you were making this point, but you mentioned like the kind of intensely heightened uh, emotion in a place like that. We're already you know, many of the people who are living there are probably already traumatized in one way or another. Uh, mm-hmm. Suddenly this horrific thing happens. Um, I'm not a psychologist and I don't, I can't map this out with data or research, but you know, the, the kind of things that you become susceptible to uh, in that, that state are, are unimaginable. Mm-hmm. And, and not just like, I don't mean necessarily hauntings, but you know the the the, the psychological, uh, whether it's hallucinations or uh, whatever. Um, it sounded like it happened to her and her friend at the same time. Uh, yeah, that's that's the weird part of it. Um, yeah, I don't think we're going to solve that one, nor do I want to. No, I feel that, like it, that is like looking into the darkness. Yeah, that's that, that's that. Uh, that's not the kind yeah. of thing that you find in a whole lot of like, uh, you know, books like this, you know, old Newfoundland. It's like, well, <laughs> who, who cares? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's end with a story. Sure. So we're about to start wrapping this up. Uh, I'll, t- I'll give you one here. I'm going to pull this from ghost stories of Canada by John Robert Colombo. Definitely going to go to the maritime section and I'm going to pick Something short and sweet. Oh, this is actually a good one. Let me just make sure it's not too long. Okay. Do you, have you ever heard the story? Oh, maybe I'll mispronounce the place. Dungarvan. It's in New Brunswick. 
it's a river, the Dungarvan River. And then there's an area called Dungarvan. Uh, there's a famous, it's like New Brunswick's most famous ghost story is the story of the Dungarvan Whooper. Some people call it the Dungarvan Whopper because it's spelled the same way as the burger, but Whooper is the, the right pronunciation. Last year they did um they did a series of stamps. Um, and every stamp was uh a different like haunted story from a different part of the country and new brunswick's stamp was the dungarvan whooper um in this book i see he has a short several paragraph maybe four paragraph long telling of the story but there's actually much more to the story than what this will cover in four or five paragraphs uh before i start i'll say i'll say and in the chat pinky clarified that she's well and they have had therapy great so that's good that's good to hear uh, so let's get on to the Dungarvan Whooper. <clears throat> the story of the Dungarvan Whooper has been called the storied, the storied Miramichi County's greatest ghost story. The Dungarvan runs through Miramichi as well. The Dungarvan River runs through central New Brunswick, a well-storied region. One Sunday in winter in the late 1860s at a logging camp along the river, an Irish-born logger known as Young Ryan invited the camp's cook to accompany him on a hunting trip in the woods. The, took, the cook agreed, but made the mistake of wearing his money belt, which included his life savings. When the two hunters were alone in the woods, the temptation of easy money overcome the greedy logger. He shot the cook to death, removed the money belt, dug a hole in the deep snow, and buried his companion's body. Returning to camp, he concocted a tale to account for the disappearance of the cook in the woods. No one ever found the grave of the cook, and nobody recalls the fate of young Ryan and the money belt, but everyone in the Miramichi area has heard the story of the Dungarvan whooper. It seems that to this day, the cook's spirit protests the murder with the, uh, and the improper burial in the deep snow. Travelers in the area claim that at sundown, they can hear horrible, eerie screams. This wailing or whooping will last 10 minutes or so and then subside into silence. In the early 1900s, a priest from the nearby parish at Renoir performed the rite of exorcism, but the cook's spirit was too strong and, the, and reports of the screams persisted. Such is the story of the Dungarvan Whooper. It is interesting to note that the Miramichi enjoyed railway service for four decades. The service ended in 1936, but not before the train was given the name the Dungarvan Whooper. As local historian Stuart Truman noted, in Ghosts, Pirate, and Treasure Trove, it was the first train in the world named in honor of a ghost. See, that, that's, that, a cla- that's a great ghost story. That's got it all. Yeah. I, um, I was planning to do an episode at one, at one point on the Dungarvan Whooper, and I had put something on my Facebook asking like, if anyone in the area had ever heard anything or been in the woods. And I got an email from a guy who was a hunter and hunted in that area. He was from Miramichi. And he said, it's, it's like, if you ask hunters who hunt there, they all will tell you like, yeah, we we've heard it. And when you, apparently when you're deep down in the woods and you don't hear like, you know, the highway or whatever, you'll just hear this like low bassy, like whoop, whoop. And he's the way he described it to me is like, if you ever been near, um, like kind of like a windmill and as it spins, a whoop, whoop, he's like, it kind of sounds like that but it's like the entire sky and it's like bassy and he's like, and I'll be in the woods. And he said, he, he said one time he was deep in the woods and 
he heard it go on for like 15 minutes and he said it was so powerful he could almost feel like the bass in his chest and he's like i was nowhere near anything i'm in the center of the woods now see that's like so the these things always have a structure right where especially when it's like the the, the ghost stories anthologies so this this is the telltale heart right like someone there's a, a murder most foul and but unlike the the telltale heart where the the guilty person rats himself out basically uh this this man and it even says you know he is he is left you know, rotting away without justice uh the the guilt that is should have been imposed upon his killer is sort of like left to rest in the gloom of the Miramichi, like a mm-hmm. intensely gloomy place anyway. Uh, and, and this goes to the, the, the idea that like only the wicked are haunted, right? Virtuous, good, clear conscienced people are never the victims of, of specters, right? You know, if you have a clear conscience, you're not being uh, attacked by ghosts. And so almost like to to displace the, the guilt from the, the murder onto anyone else who happens to come within within range. Those people with guilty conscience then become the ones who are who are put upon with the 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 injustice or the, the mm-hmm. deserved like um, like the whooper. Not to say yeah, that, the, that the person who emailed you was walking around with a guilty conscience. Uh, no, but that's, no, that's but, how these things tend to work. Mm-hmm, yeah, it's certainly. It's kind of like the telltale heart, you know, that story where they buried the thing under the floor. Well, yeah, that's, how I, that's what I mentioned, right? Yeah. So yeah. do we have time for another one or are we going to wrap it up? Let's do, uh, if you got one there, I got, I'd love to hear a Bill Jessam original. Yeah, so this is, this is a, one that uh, reminded me of the, the story of my friend at the Salty Towers. Uh, it's called Death Was His, was his Companion. It says, It was mid-afternoon when I stopped at the Bredore Lookoff on Route 4. Seated at a picnic table were three couples enjoying the scenery and a snack. I was invited to join them, and it wasn't long before they wanted to know if I was writing another maritime mystery book, to which I replied, Yes, hopefully it will be out sometime soon. Do you believe in forerunners, Bill? Asked one of the picnickers. Of course, I replied. Remember, I grew up in Cape Breton. I guess there are a lot of forerunners here. (laughs) Naturally, I asked why. Well, said the elderly gentleman, I'll give you a piece of advice. Never try to outrun a forerunner. My friend Murdoch tried and died of a heart attack. Now I was intrigued and wanted to hear more. I wanted to know exactly what happened to his friend. This sounds like you, actually. (laughs) I wish I could hang out with you. The the new Bill Jessup. And so the man says, Death was his companion that evening, said my storyteller. It was a warm evening, and my friend Murdoch decided to walk home from the office. He felt he needed to unwind and was certain the walk would do him good. Halfway home, he heard footsteps behind him. They were faint and distant at first, but were steadily catching up with him. When he turned around to see who it was, there was no one there. He thought this was very strange indeed. Murdoch kept on. No sooner was he in full stride than he overheard the footsteps again, but this time they were much closer. Murdoch did what few people would ever think of doing. He spoke to whatever was following him. He uh, he knew it was 
Uh, he knew it was of some supernatural force. Is it me you want? He asked. Is that why you're following me? Or is it some member of my family? There was no reply because death is always silent. Murdoch then had a thought. If he could outrun the forerunner, he'd be safe. So he ran for his home as fast as he could. But no matter how fast he ran, the footsteps kept pace. When he reached the steps of his home, Murdoch collapsed. That's where his family found him, lying in a heap, muttering about death, footsteps, and forerunners. The doctor said Murdoch was under a lot of stress and needed complete bed rest. My storyteller shook his head and went on. Poor Murdoch never had a chance to get well. Just before drifting off, he heard three knocks on his bedroom wall, and he barely had time to turn his head toward the knocking when life left his body. The forerunner had caught up with old Murdoch in the end. Death always does. That's the end of the book. That's a good one to close on. <laughs> wow. Bill Justin's the master. Eh? I feel like he might have added a little bit of artistic license to that. I just happened to be yeah. driving along and a world-class storyteller told yeah. me, spun me a yarn. When's your next book, Bill? <laughs> yes, it's the last story. It's like, <laughs> and, uh, oh, there's what, another one. Don't worry. What is the guy? What is it that the guy said when he introduced it? Uh, he like tells Bill, like, hey, we have another book. And then the guy said something like, uh, I forget what you said at the beginning there, but it was like, death he said uh, the- death was his companion that evening <laughs> <laughs> people like the, who speak the- in short stories <laughs> the, as the lone like a uh, street light just like kind of <laughs> flashed enough that bill could see his disfigured face they're at the door <laughs> look off and all of a sudden there's a solar eclipse hey bill <laughs> <laughs> um that what i loved about that story is it was creepy but it was funny yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I was, it, it, and it's just the way he wrote it. It was like yeah. playful and whimsical in the way. Like I love the dude be like, you know, just coming to the decision. Like, is it me you're looking for or my family? Like those are the two options. Like he he <laughs> can tell you what footsteps is behind him. This is death. It's yeah. coming for someone. It's not just footsteps. It's yeah. like, and that. Was, what about the Invisible Man? You know? No, no, that, death um, for sure. And, and I like the way the when he wrote that story, he kept that kind of that language about death is always he, every so often he'd add it and then he ends with it. Like that's a masterful storytelling. Yes, absolutely. Great pace. Yeah. Uh, you know, the footsteps keep up through the whole thing. It, it follows the same structure as like uh, a newfie joke, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it, it hits the, the gas three times and then there's the punchline. It's like, you can't mm-hmm. outrun death. And, and mm-hmm. there you know, the book ends. And they well, it's, it's, a lot of four like, Yeah, and it's also a lot like a song and songwriting, like that his hook or or a comedian, like they have this little thing that they go back to, and you know, so it's an ongoing joke or whatever. It's like all that storytelling, songwriting, all that stuff that it, it it uses the same kind of tools and elements, but uh but Bill Jessam, like he definitely had it going on with that. Yeah, for sure. And you know, like imagine just you know. He has a, a sense of the sick irony, right? Like he's driving along. He says it's a clear, beautiful day and there's picnickers. And then one of them tells the, this this gruesome story or, well, not gruesome, but like, you know, I, I, it wasn't a dark and stormy night where he was walking home uh, in the rain and is picked up hitchhiking or something. And then here's the story. You know, yeah. The the contrast there is also appealing to the 
mm-hmm. to the the finality of it. Yeah, I like uh, I like that he includes himself in the story yeah. too. So <laughs> you know, and he plugs his next book in it too. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the way to end. Well, he's ending one book by plugging the next. Oh, book. it's not a coincidence that that's at the end of the book. <laughs> that's that is funny. Yeah. Um. Anyway, Donnie, this is fun. We got to do this again. Absolutely. I'll I'll dig around in the archives here and see what we can find as far as yeah other uh, spooky stories. And anytime you get like UFO or any kind of like weird older stuff, I really like UFO books from like the seventies. I have a lot of them. And give me one second. I, I really like co- what they call contact these stories, which is like some nobody wrote a book about their UFO experience. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, while Donnie's doing that, everybody, thank you all for joining us. I saw Sunday say nighttime. You should do this again. It was interesting. I love doing this sort of thing. I'll always, uh, I'm always up for this kind of thing. Um, and I especially like mixing it up. So I'll do all sorts of weird nights here. Uh, so thank you for tuning in Sunday. Uh, thank you for calling in with your story, Pinky. That was, that was, um, that was something else. And, uh, caper, um, you got to save your story for next time. Uh, yeah, Donnie, what you got there? So this is just oh, look at incidental. That. Uh, one that I know that you would be interested. This is the Oak Island mystery. You probably Who's have the this. author. This is, uh, Lionel and Patricia uh, Fanthorpe. Okay, no, I don't know that one. It's that's substantial. It's a lengthy book. It's published by uh, Hounslow. And here's one that you may already have. This is UFOs, The Final Answer. I don't have that. Who's the author of that? Um, Jacques Bellet. Edited by David Barclay and Therese Marie Barclay. Okay, I don't know. Put that one away. I'll 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 take that for sure. Uh, the Oak Island one, I have so much Oak Island books. I may have that and don't even know. My favorite Oak Island book I have, I would get it, but it's far away. It's a, uh, it's, it makes a case for um, a connection between aliens, Oak Island and ancient Egypt. They all come together Amazing. in this theory that I've, I haven't been able to sit through it and read it, but I've skimmed through it enough to know that it's well over my head whatever this theory is that that sounds uh, great it's crack for the nighttime podcast yeah anyway um donnie this has been a lot of fun and i'll be at the on paper bookstore in two weeks to pick up those two books we're at 311 charlotte street in sydney monday to saturday and thank you for having me on the program this has been a lot of fun can't wait to do it again i want to thank you for joining donnie and i for ghost night If you enjoyed this and want to hear more stuff like this in the future, let me know. Also, if you have a ghost story you'd like to share, get in touch. Perhaps you can join me for the next ghost night. And with that, I'll end this episode of Nighttime. But before we part, I have to give some thanks. First, I want to thank Donnie Calabrese for spending the night with me. And of course, a thank you for all the callers and livestream viewers who joined us. Next, a big shout out to Monty Data for contributing the music to this episode. It's a piece called Noir Tokyo. And lastly, a massive thank you to everyone who listens to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, the show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help clear the ghosts from the nighttime closets, please consider subscribing to the premium feed. Not only does it make the show possible, it'll give you more of each topic than you'll find here on the free feed, as I'm adding exclusive content weekly. 
So for about the price of a cup of coffee, keep the show alive by subscribing to the premium feed at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And with that said, let me thank the newest supporters of the show. TT Bear, John, Stacy, Bonnie, Wendy, Gail, and Max, thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't help financially, you can give me a huge hand by simply letting like-minded friends know what we're doing here and sharing the episodes on social media. If any of you listening have story ideas or want to give feedback on the show, reach me at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact or find me on social media. I use Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and I'm often live on the Nighttime YouTube channel. So until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte.